Hi, my beautiful people. I just wanted to let you know about a book that's helped me save a lot of money. The book is called How to Buy in Today's Digital World, Tips for Those Who Want to Save a Buck. This book provides step-by-step -step tips on how to save money on your online purchases. It also instructs you on making smart financial decisions when buying groceries, booking flights and hotels, plus lots more. I hope you get a chance to get your copy. I think you'll love it, and I know you'll save some money. Available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast on the Nana Music Network. Today's Fry It Up with Augustus Cho. My guest was the host of the Voice of the New York City's monthly open mic at the Rockwood Music Hall. Was also named one of the New York's Soho House feature recording artists. Was also headlined in Atlantic City's Boardwalk Summer Series. Also sold out an amphitheater for a Canadian charity concert. Also sang at the iconic Joe's Pub at the Public Theater and least but not the last, co-headlined with Lauren Hill at the New York City's The Javits Center, sponsored by iHeartRadio. However, you know her best when she was a contestant on the TV show The Voice. With that, we welcome to the mic Lisa Ramey. How are you, Lisa? I feel amazing after that intro. Thank you. <laughs> I always think it's very important to understand an individual's background because that determines who that person is presently. Yes. And to me, who you are today, the success that you have today is also partly based on not only on your ability and your drive, but also your background. So do you mind if we cover your background a little bit? Let's do it. I'm here right. for it. Uh, one of the things that pops out when I studied your background was that you were homeschooled, <laughs> homeschooled your entire from kindergarten through 12th grade in San Luis, Missouri. That's now that's very unusual, <laughs> right? <What do> you <laughs> most <laughs> most uh, homeschoolers that I'm familiar with, they either homeschool the high school years, you know, to focus on that, to get them accelerated for their tests, to, to prepare for them tests, or maybe some of them started middle school yeah. through high school, but I don't know too many people that went through the entire educational system from K through 12 in homeschool. So you are a very, very, very unique person. <laughs> Thank you. I feel that makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> You're unique in a number of different ways, but that's one of the things. Now, obviously, when an individual is homeschooled for that many years, that's clearly making a statement of a sort. <laughs> now, what I want to ask you is, what was it that your parents were saying by keeping you out of the St. Louis public school system? <laughs> it 
it's funny because that's the question that everybody asks in um, St. Louis is what high school did you go to? And it's so sad because I always had to say I was homeschooled. But they, my mom always said it had to do with the church. Like she just wanted, she's probably just a control freak at the end of the day. That's probably just all it was because she wanted, she wanted to like make sure our upbringing was with her. She just wanted to be, to control it all. And, and she wasn't an evil person, but she just wanted to control it. So homeschooling is like your mother is watching everything you're doing and you can't get away with anything when it's your mom. So it's like your mom is grading your tests, you know, so you can't really slip one by her. And it really helped with me and my brother and my sister because we all were pretty good at sneaking around. So <laughs> it wasn't the worst thing for us, but none of us wanted to be homeschooled. My mom really just made us do it. And we all wanted to go to school, wanted to be cheerleaders, wanted to be cool. So, um, but it was really amazing that she let us go into dance studios and musical theater programs and other high schools. So I was able to meet other kids and gain popularity in St. Louis. So the homeschool girl won in the popularity game. (laughs) That's great. I'm glad it worked out in your case because in a lot of other cases, you know, there are a lot of imbalances, emotional issues, that sort of thing. So, um, I'm not saying I don't have those. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, your mother obviously also had to make lots of personal sacrifices to be able to be at home to educate your siblings as well as you. Absolutely. So that says a lot about your, uh, your parents' value system. So in retrospect, would you say on the whole it was positive or negative? Oh, that's such a good question. And I can have, I can give you the answer that I would give if my mom were listening and then I can give you the real answer. I think that homeschooling is really amazing if you're a parent who, you know, if you're like constantly, you know, changing your locations or what have you. And it's like harder for the kid to just keep going into different school systems. Not a lot of kids can handle that. So like homeschooling, yeah actors uh, in the entertainment business we work really weird hours it's really cool to homeschool like if I were to have children I would probably choose a tutor I'm not homeschooling my kids (laughs) if I have children it's going to be someone else doing that like you said it's a big sacrifice that I'm not willing to make so if you're willing to make that sacrifice you have to be hands-on that's your children's education there are no days off and people are learning that with this pandemic But before the pandemic, I'm not so sure everybody really understood how hands-on homeschooling is. And your kids are going to hate you because then you're their mom and they can't get away from you. You're just always there and overprotective. It's crazy. It's nuts. It's it's a heavy heavy thing. So I don't know, man. I wouldn't do it. I would have the tutor thing with my kids because of what I do with my life. But I don't have kids. I don't worry about it. (laughs) You you, do. what I say. You do you. <laughs> Absolutely. I actually thought about uh, homeschooling my children, but I didn't think I was really capable of doing that in terms of temperament, in terms of schedule and that sort of thing. But I do respect the parents who are doing that, especially now. They experience how difficult it really is to try to raise your children under your tutelage. Yeah. So I so I give you, uh, your mother a lot of credit, and I'm sure, you know, there are some hard times, but in the end, we can, we can agree that she probably did it because she loved all your siblings and as well as you, right? 
Yeah, that's pretty much what she, why she did it because she loved us too much to let the world have us, and now look what happened. <laughs> I understand. How many siblings do you have? I have an older brother and an older sister. So you're the baby. I'm the baby. Can't you tell? <laughs> <laughs> so no doubt you got a lot, a lot of attention, whether you wanted it or not, huh? I did. I did. <laughs> I've been in some kind of a race with my brother and sister that I'm unaware of, but I just keep winning. So it's killing him. <laughs> was, he a, was he a protective older brother? Still a protective older brother. It's ridiculous. I can't have a boyfriend to save my life. He will, he will kill them. <laughs> it's crazy. How about today? I mean, is he still uh, hovering over you? He would like to be, but unfortunately for him, he's on the other side. He's in California. So I don't have to worry about him too much. But he'll he'll be on my social media out of nowhere as an older brother. And I'm like, please be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> don't say anything. Super weird. You know, you may come to appreciate him one day. <laughs> I think so. There's some comments that I, I don't, I definitely don't say anything. So it's nice that he steps up. <laughs> well, good for him. Yeah. Uh, when, when you have a, such a cute young, younger sister, I don't blame him at all. Okay, he's had to deal with this for a little bit. A wink and a smile, man. He, he, ooh, he <laughs> He's always said he just wants to, like, ruin my face so that he doesn't have to deal with anything anymore. That's <laughs> okay. <just> nice. <laughs> right, now, I, I've never been out to St. Louis. I just got that arch, you know, to the going to the West and all those things. What was it like growing up in St. Louis? As a homeschooler, it was <laughs> a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. Um, I, it's, it's, like, it's, Wow. The hype is real. It is very segregated, non-segregated, very racist. No, we're not. You know, it's very hush-hush. But the microaggressions were, I mean, in like, let's just say it was heavy. Really? It's just something that we were all kind of used to, as weird as that is for me to say for some ears to hear. You just get used to things because that's just how it is. You know, the Midwest. It's right smack dab in the middle. It's the little south, you know. We're right by Arkansas, <laughs> real close to Louisiana, and all in Tennessee. So you know, we 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 get the brunt of that. And it, but I was sheltered from a lot of that because I was homeschooled, so I didn't have to. I wasn't exposed to that as much as a lot of my friends uh, until later on in life. But it still happened, and. It, it, you know, it was, it was, it was hard to, to be accepted, but in homeschooling, it's not hard to be accepted because you're with your brother and your sister, but then leaving that like at dance studios and, oh my gosh, the competition of other girls and other white girls and how they looked and they're used to getting the parts. And then my blackness steps in and I'm taking all their roles and they're like, who does she think she is? And I'm like, I thought we're all just here to have fun and sing and dance. (laughs) Like, why is everyone mad? I just got here. Don't be mad at me. You've had the parts for years. Like, so it was crazy. But, you know, um, I, I just I just got right in there and did what I knew I wanted to do and didn't let it face me. And it still happens today. And I kind of still have that same attitude about it. But that very much was in St. Louis. And I have a lot of white friends and a lot of black friends and a lot of people of color friends who I could find in St. Louis. There's not many of us. Um, but uh, so yeah, it was it was it was intense, but I made it, made it. <laughs> so you're not sociologically surprised when those demonstrations broke out and all those things? Oh no, I wasn't surprised at all. I mean, I grew up close to Ferguson. I wasn't down the street, but close enough. And I'm black, so uh, there's, there's it's only a matter of time before uh, people will erupt when they're done wrong. 
And people don't see what happens in St. Louis. Like the tanks and all the ridiculous dramatics of Ferguson was crazy and all just for media. Cause like, that wasn't the first time someone has been, some black person was wronged by police and you know, the government. It wasn't the first time for that, but then all of a sudden there's tanks brought in and everything's crazy. And then now the media is here and it's like St. Louis is like crazy. And I'm born and raised there looking at like my hometown being like, what is going on? This was just like all hyped up. It was crazy. It's intense for us to go through things like that, you know, and then having to defend ourselves. It was just, it's really crazy that all that happened. But was I surprised? No. And I won't be surprised when it happens again people have to stop doing what they're doing for us to uh, calm down. Well, I do hope things get better in the future for everyone involved. Um, as you progressed into some of these programs like dancing and singing, mm -hmm. uh, was that one of your options to get out of uh, homeschooling or was that something that you really wanted to drive at? Funny you say it that way. Um, as I told you before, we, we three, me, my brother and sister, weren't really down with the homeschooling thing as much as my mother was. So when my sister tried to get into dance, dance and my mom was like, no. And then my brother was like, I kind of think this dancing is cool. Class, he wanted to meet girls. <laughs> and then I got lucky. So by the time it came down to me, all three of us could go into dance. And then, yes, it was amazing <laughs> to leave the house. And my mom and my math teacher, my all my teachers would leave as well. And I'm left with these kids and none of them are homeschooled. They all like go to school. So they're like super weird. <laughs> and I want to get to know them, you know, and that's when the drama and all that started. But it was so amazing to be amongst the world and without my mom there. And I have not changed since then. I loved it. <laughs> I wanted to be on my own handling everything ever since that moment. So you enjoyed your peer without your parents, without having other close adults involved in your life, I imagine. I loved it. Because when you're homeschooled, you get, you're around adults a lot. You definitely know how to behave. Like there were no fits, like homeschooled children, none that I know and myself, like we don't throw fits because we're, why would I throw a fit? I would right. embarrass myself. I'm like three talking like that. Like, I don't want to look stupid. You know, and that comes from the discipline. Right. And all that. And um, you know what? I, I have to go back to that. So I think it might be really good to be homeschooled because the discipline is great. And I feel like that's lost now. And I really, I'm really happy with how I was raised because I never spoke back. I was always respectful. And I see kids nowadays and I don't know how parents are doing it. I don't know how anyone is surviving COVID with <laughs> kids nowadays. I just had to uh, throw that out there. But um, I forgot what I was talking about. Sorry. <laughs> Your enjoyment of your peers. I'm you... to go back to homeschooling being positive. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I don't talk about myself when I'm on the podcast because you're the guest, but I can commiserate with you because when I was young, I went to military school with my own oh, peers. Yeah. And when I went to public school for the first time, it shocked me. The body behavior, the language, the attitude, it blew my mind, you know, because I went to a Catholic military school in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And we would never even imagine doing anything like that. So I imagine when you went to those dance uh, classes, what were some of the things that shocked you? I couldn't believe that people wouldn't listen to the teacher. I was just like, oh my gosh, she's talking. And you guys are like, you're not listening. <laughs> I was like red in the face, like, 
hot and I didn't understand the back talk. Like if in musical theater class, if you didn't know the lyrics to a song, like that is your fault. You were supposed to learn them. We had seven days to learn them. What's your excuse? So if I didn't know like one, one line or one verse, I needed to depend on the rest of the class and like none of them knew it. And the teacher would yell at them and they were all just like laughing and nobody cared. And it hurt my feelings that they were laughing at her. I'm like, you should, aren't we all here to like learn something? Like all these kids are like, shut up, Lisa. <laughs> Let's make jokes and be funny. It's, that's kind of why we're here. Uh, so I thought that was nuts. Like the respect was just crazy. I just, I was like, well, I'm going to be the teacher's pet in every single <laughs> class because I just don't behave that way. Cause I would hate it if somebody behaved like that to me or my mother, like you're making this not so fun for everybody else. So I remember the kids, uh, some close friends of mine, some girls, the plastics, they did call me the teacher's pet, but they said that I was a cool teacher's pet. So <laughs> I guess I was accepted, but I still was, I obeyed. Well, that's good. Being a, you know, cool teacher's pet means you were like on both sides. So that's, that's, that's a gift you have. That's probably because you're the baby of the family. You know how to manipulate that, huh? Get both sides. <laughs> Please, everybody. <clears throat> oh, yeah. But I can see that. And we will be right back after this important message. And we're back. Cause all of me loves all of you. Love your curves and all your edges. All your perfect imperfections. Give your all to me. I'll give my all to you. You're my What kind of dance was it? Was it jazz, modern? What was it? I started out when I was, um, I think I was six, so my very first dance, dance class. And that's just movement. But I, it was supposed to be tap, ballet, and jazz. So I started doing that. And then as I got older, it turned into like modern and like point dancing and then performances and competitions and winning medals and insanity. And then musical theater is what stuck. I was like, ooh, I really enjoy this class on Monday nights that I had all through high school. And it was all musical theater. So I discovered that I could kind of sing, but I needed some help. So then <laughs> from voice lessons, which voice lessons are great. And I've had multiple voice teachers and musical theater was a lot of fun. You've got the social aspect, um, the casts are always changing. And there is a professional theater company in St. Louis. And it was like camp for me. And I got to audition. I came with my best friends. And it was, I ended up working there for 11 consecutive seasons. And that's called the Muni. And it's America's largest outdoor theater. So like, I got into that, kind of stumbled into it, got good at it. And then that is what initially brought me to New York, was doing oh, you can wear it. <laughs> so... You started dancing when you were six years old and then you evolved into singing and everything else. I guess by the time you were nine years old, is that about right? Yeah, when I was nine years old, I was like, I don't know if I want to be a tap dancer or if I want to be serious and be a ballerina. Like I was having those conversations with myself. I was in it like every single day. The only day off I had was Sunday. So let's talk about the Muni a little bit. Um, not many people know about it. So give us what Muni is 
and then we'll uh, explore a little more about what you did for that. So tell us what Muni is, M-U-N-Y. Historically, it's like where the, the, the big state fair, like the big fair of like whenever in history there was a big fair. It happened in St. Louis and everybody came from all over the world to see whatever they have there. So that, that's in Forest Park. It's a huge park in St. Louis. And rumor has it it's bigger than Central Park. Um, that could just be St. Louis pride, but I think it, it might be bigger than Central Park. I could be lying, um, but it's huge. And it has America's largest outdoor theater, which is the Muni, the M- Municipal Theater of St. Louis in Forest Park and um, non-for-profit. And they have professional companies from Broadway or uh, companies sometimes, um, production teams, uh, all these famous people uh, come through to do these shows and it's summer stocks summer stock theater so it's one week of this and the next week it's the next show and the next week it's the next show and it's a crazy scheme it doesn't make sense that it works because you have 10 days to learn a show and then you put the show up for seven days and then they're on to like the next show and it's just like constantly cycling now how did you how did you get involved in it first that first time i didn't know we had always been going because they have uh, 13,000 seats and they have a whole like at the back of the theater, they have a free seat section. So everyone just comes with their families and you just sit in the free seats, you bring a picnic and it's just a day with the kids. So, so much fun. And so I didn't know that you could um, audition to be in it as a kid. I just, we just went to it, but I mean, you got to get the kids from somewhere. So my mom, after we started, you know, dancing in the Christian dance studio, (laughs) Then we decided to uh, cross over, and my mom still says she regrets it. <laughs> but we crossed over and auditioned for the Muni, and we got in our first year, 1997. Uh, my yeah. first show was... Yeah. So, um, you're in, so you're in the sinful world now, huh? I was in the sinful world, and I loved it. And I still <laughs> love it. Ah, Pray for me. But I <laughs> It was amazing. There were so many kids. I mean, like I'm a homeschool kid. The most kids that I've been around that weren't homeschooled had been like 30, you know what I mean? And this had like a hundred kids and two adults were like watching us the whole time. So I had a really good time seeing, seeing who I was without (laughs) my mother anywhere. Like she was somewhere in the park, you know, and I was just by myself doing my own thing with all these kids. So it's amazing because they, they take on so many kids every summer. So it's just the coolest experience socially. And also you're surrounded by professionals in the field that I thought for sure I was going to go into. So it, it's an incredible learning experience. And they still do it. You can be a muni kid, a muni teen, and then a muni adult where you actually get paid. But the experience is the muni kid and the muni teen. And um, you get to meet incredible people. And then you end up like seeing them on the big screen. You see them in New York, like friends of mine. I get to be like, oh, I'm friends with this person. And people are like, oh my gosh, how did you meet Camp Munich? You know, it was camp for me, but for other people, it's a prestigious place to perform. Yeah. Do you still recall the first role you got at the Muni? Yeah, I was a jitterbug. I'll never forget because <laughs> they, they didn't even have jitterbugs in the movie, <laughs> the Wizard of Oz. But in the Broadway show, they have the jitterbug and it's this whole scene and Mercedes Ellington relation to Duke Ellington was my choreographer. And she called me Miss Thing because I messed up a bunch, but she called me Miss Thing and it was, it was amazing. So I got to work with 
her. Great. Right. So, so you did it for 11 seasons at the Muni, right? Yeah. And what was the most memorable role you got? I would say, oh gosh, probably the most, two of them. One was when I had a role and I played Peaches, I think my name was, in Hairspray. The girls in the red who are like the doo-wop girls and that. So that was kind of amazing that my last season there, I played a role. So I like started as a kid there and then like had a part. So that's memorable. But also I was in, I think, what was it? Was it Showboat? May have been Showboat. It was one of these shows where we're very segregated (laughs) and I was sweeping on stage and I had this part where the orchestra, this 32 piece orchestra and our musicians were incredible and they sounded so beautiful and they play and they, they finish on this, this chord. And then I have to find the note and just like sing acapella by myself on this stage. (laughs) The stage is as big as a football field. And I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, how did this happen? I'm supposed to be a dancer first then singer next. And they were like, no, Lisa will do it. She's been here forever. Just trust her. And it was terrifying because you're the, you're all by yourself on that stage and this orchestra just stops playing. And then that's not the chord. That's not the note. They're not helping me. I got to find the note. And then they join me later. And if I'm wrong, everyone's going to know. <laughs> but I nailed it every single night. And I felt like such a pro, like I could do anything. If I could nail this in front of all these people, I even got applause some nights. Kudos. Yeah. Excellent. That Uh, must've been a confidence builder, right? It was because I wasn't even, I didn't even consider myself a singer then. I was a dancer then. So it was, it was like, why are they clapping at me for singing? That's interesting. I like this. (laughs) Uh, That's great. So all those lessons and singing and dancing paid off. It did. It really did. You think you're just doing something fun to keep you away from homeschool mom. And (laughs) next thing you know, it's like, it's my whole life. Good for you. Um, So I've I've read some of your bios. Now, you don't say, you don't talk too much about what happened after you left the Muni before you got to New York. So fill us in some of those gaps. What, What were you doing after you became 19, 20 years old? Working, working, working nine to five. No, I was, um, I was very, very good at getting jobs in St. Louis in the musical theater world. So I would do, when I moved to New York, it's like a gray area because I didn't, I wasn't, to me, I wasn't necessarily moving to New York. It was just where I went to rehearse and kick off a tour. And it was when Irving Berlin's White Christmas just started. So I was doing, I was a part of the company uh, for like six years, I think. So when it first started before it got to Broadway, they did tours. So I was a part of that. So every, every like October, I think we rehearsed. And so I was living in New York city. My very first apartment was on Madison Avenue. Nice. And I had no idea how good I had it. Cause I'm coming (laughs) from St. Louis where there's space. There's actual space. Yes, personal space. Yes, I understand. Yeah, what's that here? Like in New York, we're like, what are you talking Personal space. <laughs> Sit on my lap. We're at dinner. Right. So it was, um, yeah, that was like crazy getting used to that. But I um, started out and in Madison Avenue 
in this huge apartment. And then I was working with this, uh, with White Christmas. So then I would go on tour and then I would finish that. So that's like October Halloween season wrapped around to the end of Christmas to wrap up my time with White Christmas. And then it would go straight into, I'd have like maybe a month off back in St. Louis. I have like a month off. And then I would go right into auditions for the Muni and Stages, which are two theater companies, big theater companies in St. Louis. I had grown up at the Muni. Um, I had been working with Stages as a teacher on like on, on the off season and they're both summer stock. So I would immediately in the spring just start back into musicals, musicals, musicals. So then I would work from like spring until fall and go right back to New York to pick up with White Christmas. So that went on for a long time. That's called being cozy. That's a nice check. Yes. That is my rent's being paid. I don't care. Let's go on a vacation. Ha ha ha. We're all working. Oh my gosh, we got it good. That, that happened. And then I stopped doing that. So you got your foot into New York City, right? I got there. I got there. And from the Middle East, from St. Louis. And I'm sure St. Louis is a large city, but compared to New York, it must have been quite a contrast. So tell us some of the cultural shocks and some of the observations that you've made when you first arrived in Manhattan and landed in Madison Avenue. Uh, The trains. (laughs) I was like, um, I need an adult. I don't know how to get from point A to point B. I just want to take a cab everywhere, but I'm going to lose all of my money if I keep taking cabs. So learning the subway system was just horrible. (laughs) Because the thing about New York is that you just have to do it. (laughs) Actually, subway is more efficient in terms of time and also cost. So it it does make sense. Yes, cost, great, cheap, but time, depends on what time you're traveling and how much time you gave yourself. Now that I know the city, I know to give myself 45 minutes to go anywhere and I am chilling. There's always time for coffee. I got it. When you first move here, you're like, oh, there is no Google Maps. There's (laughs) me estimating what time I think I'll get there. And I'm from St. Louis. And I'm like, there's a lot of people here. And I'm missing trains because I'm not realizing that's the train I'm supposed to be on. It's just intense and you want to ask people, but New Yorkers are busy. They're very nice, but they're just busy. So you're, you're just kind of scared trying to get a bagel. My first thing, I couldn't even order it. (laughs) I almost started crying because they just tried to get me to order and I wasn't ready yet. And they just whipped right past me. And like, I just didn't even matter. And I just kind of like backed out. They probably figure you were a tourist. They did. They didn't have time for me. It was like, oh my gosh, if I saw someone do this, I would totally just laugh at that person and order my bagel. You know, you just laugh at those people. They, We all eventually learn. But that's why some people cry and go home. <laughs> what inspired you to try a bagel? Because I knew it and it was cheap and available on every corner. <laughs> There's always a bagel on every corner. And everybody talks about how you have your deli guy and... Um, they're, they'll like, know you, I totally, that's such a real thing. Like my deli guys, you always know <laughs> your deli guys. So I was like, I'm going to go to this deli. There's not that many people here, but it, <laughs> no, 
and I just didn't eat that day. I didn't have anything to eat that day. Which is shocked, though. Yeah. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to eat here. I don't know how everything is it's too loud. They were emptying the trash one night. Yes. And I got up and called my mom because I'm like, something horrible is happening outside. And I realized it was literally just the tr- dumpsters being emptied. And right. I, thought, I thought we were all gone. And we will be right back after this important message. And we're back. You're an expert and a citizen of Manhattan. Citizen. What's your favorite uh, bagel? Oh my gosh! Well, I'm gluten free now, so uh, anything is gluten free. But I'd say before I was gluten free, I don't know. I could tell you my favorite pizza. My favorite pizza places. Okay. One of my favorite pizza places in, is in Brooklyn. It's on Fifth Avenue. It's called Lenny's. I oh, Lenny's is great. Do they have thick cheese. They have thick cheese. They got thick cheese. They got it going on. They got everything you want. They're open all the time. They're really nice. They know you by name. I love Lenny. Shout out to Lenny. And also Lusso's Pizza. That place is great, too. Oh, that sounds good. Um, were you in New York City when they had famous Ray's Pizza on 6th Avenue and 29th Street? I think so. I believe so. Famous oh. That they shut down, you know. Last time I was, well, I was up there, I missed that pizza even uh, twenty years later. We got to get you some other pizzas. There, there's pizza tours. They're so fun to go on pizza tours. Like you I believe pizza. it. I believe it. And you know what they say about pizza is it's the, it's the water, right? It's the water. They say it's the water. That's that's what makes the pizza good because the water they mix in with the dough and all those things. And I'm sure you're going to learn all those things, but I don't know what it is. Right. But New York pizza is very and- good. Trust our water like that. I'm learning something. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I'm just not going to have any more pizza. <laughs> so uh, you you went back and forth for a while. It sounds like to uh, San Louis and New York City. Yeah. And when did you finally make that full commitment to the uh, to the city of New York? Oh my gosh, it was so hard because there was a way that I was raised, and I was just being so disobedient to that. And um, when you're the only person who's rooting for you to do something. It's really hard to make the move. So that's why I went back and forth because I couldn't decide. I'm like, New York is a, um, it's not an easy pill to swallow. You don't just like, oh, I'm moving to New York and it's all easy. There's got to be all kinds of plans and things that need to happen. And it's everything. Everyone just kept telling me it's so much easier once you get there. And my mom was not into it. And, um, but I finally did it from, because a friend of mine was just like, either, you know, do it or don't, but, like you're going to either miss out on your life to please your mother or you're going to go for it. And she's going to come around because she has to. And I was like, you're right. And this is a friend of mine from St. Louis. So she, I think she regretted it after she said it. Cause I was like, yes, I'm going to go. And she's like, no, wait, now you're leaving. <laughs> but it was the truth. And I just needed someone to say it to me and I needed to be in a place to really receive it. And I was able to really look at myself and think, how unhappy I would be if I didn't pursue this. I'm good at it. And 
I should at least try. I owe it to all of the work I put in. As we talked about, I danced every single day of my life. I was constantly practicing, not because of like a crazy parent making me because I wanted to. So like, how am I just going to stop to like go get married and have kids? (laughs) I don't know. What do you mean? Like, stop. You can always do that later, right? Well, I was like, I don't even know if I can do it later because it, it was taken, it's taken so long to do this. So there's kind of sacrifices that need to be made. And I would be worrying myself to death if I carried that because then all of a sudden there's a timer and, and things need to happen. And I can't have a timer in the industry that I chose to be in. And you have to play the cards you're dealt in life and since this is the way that it happened, instead of me hating my mother and me like hating the fact that children haven't happened yet and stuff like that, I kind of accepted that a while ago that I'm willing to sacrifice this one dream so that I can at least try because I don't know what kind of a mother I'm going to be when I pop out a bunch of singers and dancers. I'm going to kill them. <laughs> so I don't want to be that parent. And you see those parents and I'm, we're all human, you know, I, how do I know that I would be different? So, um, you know, I just wanted to make that sacrifice and see how far I could go with this. And shockingly enough, I have a lot of people in my life who are like children that I have to take care of. So it's like, it's like, I still got them. <laughs> yeah. Worst case scenario, when, when you're ready, you can always adopt because there's so many children who need. So, those, many, children. You know? so many. And I'm here for that. I can, I can get a big old shoe. There was an old woman who lived in a shoe, had so many children. She didn't know what to do. I could be that woman and have all these babies because they definitely, they're already here and they need help. So that is something I have thought of. With your dynamic personality, I don't doubt that. And I'm sure you've heard of the saying, it's better to fail. I mean, it's better to try and fail than not try and regret. What do you so, do with all of this if I didn't even try? Yes. Like, we'll get to We'll get to when I had to question that later because I had to think about that again. But this was the first time in my life where me myself had to start making decisions for myself without having anyone help me because only you can make the decision. So that was when I moved to New York, which was horribly also the time that I started thinking, I don't want to do musical theater anymore. Really? Yeah. Were you tired of what, what, what was the impetus for that? I got as far as, I'm going to be completely honest with you, I got as far as my type can get. There's, I don't sing like the black girls that get the black girl roles. I don't have that voice. I'm never going to have that voice. (laughs) Stop trying to make me sound like that voice. I got called back for Effie in Dreamgirls, the Jennifer Hudson role. Like they wanted me to sing this part. I'm like, are you crazy? I not even on my best day. Do I ever sound like Jennifer Hudson or Jennifer Holiday? I would have to do my own little version and I still wouldn't sound like Whitney whenever she did it. Like, you gotta be kidding me that they have me even in there. So when somebody looks at me and they think, oh, she can play any black role that we give her, it sounds like I'm not in the right business. I need to go find someplace else that when they see me, they know who I am and they don't just mute me and paint me to be whatever they think I am. Because I can't do it. I'm going to blow my voice out trying to sing Effie. Effie. Every single song she sings starts too high. I would, <laughs> I would have to change the whole musical. 
so that kind of started, um, it just kept happening. Like I, I kept getting the same roles and I was cool with it. Mm-hmm. I was so into it. Cause like I told you, I had a check, I had health insurance. I was seeing the United States <laughs> going on tour. I had a cool job. I was dating a guy while I was in it. He was in the show. I was like, oh my God, true love. Like I was, I was set, but I wasn't, it wasn't enough because it was same, the same, the same, the same. I, do, I play this girl in this show. I play the same girl in this show, but with a different way. I'm playing the same girl in this show, but with another way. They're asking me for things that I cannot give them. This is so stupid. Why am I showing up for this? And it's all in the, you know, world of make-believe because it's musical theater. So I want to break the fourth wall. I want to invite the audience to be a part of my show. What is going on in my brain? It sounds like I just want to be a recording artist. Crap. <laughs> they make even less than I do, you know? <laughs> but then that was, um, that was a scary moment. And that only happened when, while I was in New York, I often, and anytime that I'm in uh, doing theater or in any kind of a company, I always try to, find like a crew guy or a technician or somebody, a musician to take me out of that world and let's have a good time. And it's great to do it with musicians because they're always like, let's go hear some music. So started hearing some music in New York, started going to Rockwood, started seeing all these singers. My friend, Sarah Nishwitz, she was out there singing at a bar and I thought, how cool I want to sing at a bar. Like if she can do it, maybe I can do it if she helps me. So that kind of started it. And it also started a fire within me for me to make things happen. I have to make things happen. And once you start doing that and then you make things happen, well, come on. Now it's in my hands and now I'm never going to stop. <laughs> now I have the control. So yeah, that kind of set it off. There you go. It's all part of self-discovery. Yeah. And as Socrates said once, know thyself. And that's where you're, discovering that's right? what i preach it's so important to know thyself it's yes. so important but the world also needs lisa ramey there's only one of you <laughs> and there's only one of you who can do what you can do so to me it's just a matter of time you, you know, i mean you've already started down the road anyway but there will be a broadway play that's perfect for lisa ramey to start so i wouldn't worry about it <laughs> They're out there. They're out there. They'll, oh, they'll be, they're already, at, they started asking for me when I had already turned my back on Broadway. And then they started when they were doing a lot of rock musicals, when that kind of erupted, they were like, oh, Lisa, she's got a mohawk. But I already stopped doing theater. So once again, they're not listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's just a matter of time uh, when Broadway changes this format. I think the yeah. old days of the 60s, 70s format are done. So new stores are coming out, new, new screenplays, all those things. Awesome. Contemporary. Yeah. And to me, uh, things are changing so fast now. Mm-hmm. Even one year, things can change. So I think it's just a matter of time where, you know, as in film, you just have to find the right role. And then there you go. And there you go. It's all about align- alignment. And I... Uh, I'm not I'm not unhappy with how things are turning out. I will say that because I would have missed out on a really a bunch of cool things if I hadn't gone this route that I ended up going. Sure. And you have many things to offer. So all those things will align and then, bam, you'll all come together. 
Yeah, it's important to say yes. It's important to say no too, but it's it's very important to know when you say yes. And and there's been a lot of times where I'm like, why did I say yes to this? But it has turned out to be to lead to something else that's like, whoa. <laughs> Just give us some background on this. Uh, when you toured with Cirque du Soleil, how was it when you did the Kusa? Kusa! Give us, come on, give us some stories. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, this story is ridiculous because I, <laughs> I it's important to know that I had, I've never gone to the circus because ever since I was a little girl, I thought you people are crazy. What you do is crazy. This is nuts. You can hurt yourself. Like, what are you doing? I've never been interested in watching someone on tightrope. I don't watch them fall. I don't like feeling scared. So I've never been to the circus. And of course I knew what Cirque du Soleil was, but like they have a line that could wrap around earth maybe like three times of people trying to get in to Cirque du Soleil. And here I am living my life in New York City, super broke. And I just got back from a trip with my boyfriend at the time from Mexico. And I had a toothache. I tried so hard to get it fixed in Mexico, but even they were like, you need to go get it fixed in the United States. But I'm like, that's expensive. So I came back to the United States and I get a call and it's like <laughs> from Montreal. And they're like, and <laughs> it's always at the worst time, right? <laughs> it's the first time they're, they're just calling me. And, and it's true. It's like, so it was their, um, their main, uh, where they do everything in Montreal, their main point of business, like that's huge. And that's where they're calling from. So it literally was like, probably said Cirque du Soleil, like incorporate, like something. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I pick up the phone. Like, hello, Lisa. Uh, we got your number from your friend, Jacuba. And I'm like, who? What? This has got to be a joke, right? Who, who is like that? <laughs> My tooth hurts. I don't have time for this. And um, it ended up being them from Cirque du Soleil. And they offered me, a job because a friend of mine, they're very much like the mafia. Once you're in, you're in. And we will be right back after this important message. Hi, my beautiful people. I just wanted to let you know about a book that's helped me save a lot of money. The book is called How to Buy in Today's Digital World. Tips for those who want to save a buck. This book provides step-by-step -step tips on how to save money on your online purchases. It also instructs you on making smart financial decisions when buying groceries, booking flights and hotels, plus lots more. I hope you get a chance to get your copy. I think you'll love it, and I know you'll save some money. Available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And we're back. My friend uh, from like years ago, who I played with in the very first band I played with in New York City, the New Orleans style jazz band, this cat, he's a drummer, he's so good, Cuba. He left and joined the circus. I played maybe three shows with him. He recommended me for the part. And so that's how they called me. Like I've never auditioned for the circus. Everyone should hate me who's auditioned and tried to get into the circus. Cause I've never even tried. And they were just like, Hey, we want to offer you the part. So 
I take it, but it's not because of it being Cirque du Soleil. It's because I found out I had to get my wisdom teeth taken out and I had to have two root canals. How the heck am I supposed to pay for that as a singer in New York City? So you bet I said, absolutely. I cannot wait to be in the circus. What do I have to do? Like, that's when I asked what I needed to do. But it was, like to say, life-changing. I mean, I literally, it was just, it was so fast. And I didn't want anybody to know that I was <laughs> doing all this dental work because I didn't want them not to hire me. So I tried to keep it on down low. And a lot of people still don't know that I had my wisdom teeth taken out, but I had them taken out in Chinatown in Brooklyn, or no, in the Lower East Side in Chinatown. Got them taken out. Then I hop on a flight and I got the call on like a Wednesday. And then 10 days later, I'm in Montreal learning the show. Turns out I'm a very fast learner. So I already know the show and I'm like drugs on drugs because my teeth are killing me, pretending like nothing's swollen. I'm eating soup and that's it. And I'm, I already knew the show. I already knew their crazy circuit language. And I learned the show, but um, I noticed that they were trying to get me kind of into the show rather quickly but in the manual that they sent out it's like don't learn anything just show up and we'll like guide you through it and then we'll cross overseas to australia and together we will sit down and watch the show for like a few times and then you'll eventually go into a rehearsal it was like this long thing right here's what happens whenever people find out you're a fast learner and I'm on drugs. So I, so I learned the show and they're like, Hey, so you learn the show rather quickly. We're going to have you, we're going to fly you out to uh, Australia because you're going to, you're going to perform opening night in Sydney. <laughs> That's like, great. So yeah. So I was in a plane going to Australia. I think when I got there, I think I, the visa, like finally everything was done with the paperwork. Like this was so fast. And I got there and the flight was like 21 hours, I think. And I get, and I'm literally just like, this is insane. I think I'm in Australia. I think I'm driving on the wrong side of the street. I don't know what's going on in my life right now. Who packed? Like the packing that I did was crazy. And I get there and this is day one of me showing up. This is how professional people work. I just got off the plane. Like I'm like, who am I? Who are you? What's going on? I drive. They take me to my hotel. I drop everything off. And in about 40 minutes, they're like, okay, so we're going to go to the, I thought theater. It's a big tent. It's an actual tent. It's a tent. So we go to a tent and I meet everybody. So there's 150 people that tour with Kuza. So they're all just talking to me in every single language that they, that they speak. Not everybody speaks English. Most people do not. So there's like Russians talking to me, Mandarin speaking to me, Japanese are speaking to me. Everyone's talking. And I'm like, I think everyone's saying hi. I'm high because I bought so many pills so that this doesn't hurt. I'm super sleepy. I think it's called jet lag. I've never experienced this before. I'm just trying to be nice. I'm also working. I think I'm here to work. I go into the theater. It's gorgeous. I'm starting to realize, oh my gosh, I'm in Cirque du Soleil. I am actually here in a tent about to sing. Am I singing? I go and I stand up on the Betta Club and honey, I performed the whole show with the band in front of the production right then and there. They called it a sound check, but really it was, who's this girl? How good is she? 
I just got there. But that's the big leaves. They're like, okay, great. You're, you've arrived. Let's see what you got. Did the whole show. Wow. Wow. Whole show. I had never worked with in-ears. This is my first time working with in-ears. Yeah. Okay. When you work with in-ears, you have to set levels. And when you set levels, you have to know what it means to set levels, and we, which means you'll know how to ask. So I couldn't hear anything. Wow. But I did it. And um, it was the craziest experience of my life watching these Russians throw these girls. And we had just been up like throwing them back, honey. These Russians can drink. And we were partying all night long. And the next day they are up and they are performing and they're literally throwing each other, landing it all. And I'm on stage like, I can barely like hit these notes and sit and you're like throwing people. And like, it was the power that these men and women have They're They have no body fat. <laughs> Imagine like being a singer on a show like that. Like everyone looks perfect, literally. And they train while when you don't see them um, performing, they're training every single day. Every time I walked into the tent, all the artists were there before me training all day. It's, I committed, I think, to five days of working out with them. And then I was like, I am not an Olympian and I don't care. I'm not doing <laughs> Stop pressuring me with your gorgeous bodies around me all the time. But they're very serious and they're a lot of fun. I, if there was a way that people could work in the circus, it should be something that everyone should do because you're surrounded by every culture. All over the world is around you and you got to figure out how to communicate. So I loved that. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I'm going to be able to talk and try to figure out how to talk to everybody here. And by the end of that contract, you better believe we were all crying when I was leaving because I really wanted to know my company. That's just who I am. I want to know everyone. I want to be able to mess with people on stage. So I got to know everyone and I still couldn't get a lot of their names right, but I, they knew I <laughs> And they still follow me and they check up on me because uh, it is a family and I was there for I was only supposed to be there for maybe four weeks and I ended up staying there for a year and a half wow <laughs> beautiful beautiful story Circle Soleil is I mean it's really the United Nations in action it is it really is and so much trust like it's what circus artists do is unbelievable and they have so many shows it was life changing to be like just with all these different people and they all trust each other with their lives every single day. And I watch, I watch the show every, every day. Our schedule was 10 shows a week. So I get to see them when they're tired. You get to see them when they're angry and when they're having their best shows and how they react and the audience, every time they do things, the audience is screaming in terror. And I was screaming in terror every single night for about a year, maybe for the next half. I finally got it straight that nothing bad was going to happen, but it's terrifying. And then when they're your friends, it's even scarier because your friends are up there doing the wheel of death. Like it's scary. Yeah, to me, what Circus Dole does is really amazing. Yeah. And instead of using and forcing and abusing animals like lions and tigers and elephants by beating right. them right. in so-called circus, quote unquote, mm -hmm. we should just support Circus Dole, which is using human bodies to achieve incredible feat to demonstrate what is possible. Mm -hmm. Compared to what they're doing, your singing was relatively uh, 
comfortable, right? Oh my gosh. Now, not only was it the most comfortable thing to be doing on that stage, the ego boost. Oh, <laughs> I come from the dancing world. So I, I, I can really understand um, certain rhythms that not all singers can understand because they just didn't come from moving your body. They come from singing. It's a whole different thing. But the artists are moving to what they hear. So when I got to know the artists, they weren't so shy with me. So they were telling me, when I sing, it inspires them to move. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, all right. So then I started really paying it. Well, we're supposed to um, pay attention to their movements because we follow everything they do. And if they decide they're not going to go for a trick or something, we have to, the music has to go with whatever they're going to do. So there's a lot of mind reading, mind reading going on in the show. It's crazy what the musicians do in that show. Um, but like you follow them and like you do everything with them and you really feel so cool because I'm, they know that I'm about to give them a note that they're going to like, uh, my girl Irina would throw a hoop and do a spin and like catch it right whenever you sing something. And she'd like, look at me and smile when she has like 11 hoops going around her. And she's just like, winks at me. Like, you're so cool. This is such a cool experience. And she's Russian. We can barely communicate, but like, this is happening. Like, this is so beautiful. I'm going to cry. Nobody gets it. I have too much makeup on. Like, it was just, there's so many beautiful moments brought to you by the music. And I'm surrounded by incredible musicians. And there's only two singers, me and my girl, Alessandra, only two of us singing the whole show. This is our family within the family, you know. This is a confirmation, once again, that music is indeed an international language, surpassing every culture and ethnicity. And when when you did sing right on cue, you probably inspired them to perform and gave them strength. So you played a crucial role, it it seems to me, as a quote-unquote singer. They didn't like it whenever I said I was leaving, I can tell you that. (laughs) Well, I can understand why. Uh, so when you were doing this for, you know, six, seven, eight months, and eventually, I guess you said at the end of the year, at the end of the year, you left, were you confident as a singer that you really felt like you were a professional singer at the time? Ooh, good question. Oh, I'm telling you that, um, that contract really built some confidence. It really did. Cause before that I was singing in bars and, kind of starting to think that I could be a front woman, not really second guessing myself, just never had tried it. And it was just something new. And I wasn't focused. I can tell you that I was trying to figure out so many different things instead of just letting the artistry kind of happen. And I think that this is a really good question. You're making me think. And I'm pretty sure that because I went to the circus and had to prove myself in like this epic way, every single performance like it's just me singing soprano notes in this really big deal company and the fact that I did it and I never had a bad show that the audience could tell ever (laughs) and that's a lot of performances where it's just you singing and I didn't consider myself a singer before I took that contract my motivation was I needed to fix my teeth it really was about fixing my teeth and I can deal with whatever this circus contract is going to be. I can sing anything I'll figure it out. But um, once I got there and then did this and then like reviews and like people and how big the crowds were and I nailed it every single night 
nailed it with my company, nailed it with my directors, nailed it with the guy who runs Cirque du Soleil. Like that really helped me realize I am right. (laughs) I think I can now is no, I can't. I can do this because now it's on paper. There's proof that I can do this. It's not just me who thinks it. It's not just my mom who thinks that this is a lot of people. And now we're global with this who have all heard me sing. And I have a big number that I have. The soul singer in Kusa has a big number in the second act. And the crowd always went nuts after I sang it because of how much fun I was having. And I got the Russians to dance like they cared, <laughs> which is great. And this like crazy little number that we, uh, that they did. And that, that all just helps. And it, and it definitely feeds your ego in a way that you need to handle this business. And then being, being able to stand <laughs> and look behind me and say, like, I did that definitely helped uh, create this. Yeah, during all this time, when you were away from your mother, how was she taking it? Oh, I think she still can't stand it. <laughs> I mean, you were, ha- you were literally halfway across the world. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, it, yeah. I, and especially because it all happened so fast. You know, I mean, considering it's me and having to deal with the, uh, the dentist and having to cram all that in. I had a lot of scheduling to do and I'm not the best at like packing <laughs> up my life and leaving the country to go to Australia. Like no one goes to Australia. And so I'm, I may not even call her until I got there. and was like, Oh, by the way, I ran away with the circus and it wasn't just my mother. It's also jobs that I had. Like, I'm just like out of nowhere. Hey, I'm leaving the country to, to work with Sir Tussolet, so you're not allowed to get angry, but you're going to have to replace me. Like, I had a lot of gigs that were on the books that, like, everyone just kind of had to deal with. So my mom is always wanting me to just come home. Like, it'll always be for my mom. Oh, I'm so... The circus made her, like, really excited. She was really happy to see something like that. So that she needed to know that I was safe. She just thinks I'm, like... Anywhere I live, she'll think I'm just living in like the scariest parts of New York and I'm constantly in danger. This is the end of part one. We thank you for listening and invite you to tune in next time for part two. Meanwhile, join our growing family by subscribing our podcast.